0: Zora Neale Hurston is one of the most important writers of the Harlem Renaissance. And there's a haunting scene in Zora Neale Hurston's important novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God, set in Florida. And one afternoon, the protagonist, Janie sees Seminole Indians passing through the swamp heading east and they warn of a hurricane that's coming, but no one believes them. That night, the great Okeechobee hurricane struck, killing 3,000 in what remains one of the most devastating natural disasters in U.S. history. The Seminoles said they had read the tall grasses in the swamps near Lake Okeechobee, a lake where it opens up to a river of grass, which we call the Everglades. And they observed that the seed pods swole and popped open. And they began to leave the area and move to higher ground. And the Seminoles said that the tall grass had spoke to them. For generations of experience in living in the Everglades, they had learned how their ecology behaved. And how their ecology responded to the difference in weather. And that experience allowed them to see, to know that a hurricane was coming. And their experience with hurricanes convinced them that they needed to evacuate to higher ground. That was 1928, before Dopper. Before Dopper, radar and mathematical models and how our scientific culture has come to predict storms. They had no instruments, no computers. They did not know about what they were seeing when the, the popping of the thing, what you might call barometric pressure. But they had a, an indigenous wisdom. They believed that when that, they saw those swelling of that grass, that it was telling them something. They had what you may call seminal science. In the prairies west of the Missouri River, the Cato and Wichita people build very large houses made out of grass with cedar frames. And some of the structures are big enough to host the whole village for dance ceremonies and games through which the community celebrates the sacred These grasshouses are both breathable and waterproof. The Cato and Wichita people have lived in the prairie for generations. They experienced all kinds of weather in an open environment. They knew about blizzards and snows and relentless sun in the summer, and they knew the prairies could see tornadoes. There is no record of a sod house, of these these grass houses being destroyed by the wind or crushed by the snow. They had learned from their environment and built in a sustainable relationship to it. They had not gone to architecture school, but they had some indigenous wisdom, wisdom that they had practiced over generations. They had what we could call Cato and Wichita science. Let's move even further west. And few people know that in Phoenix, Arizona and its surrounding suburbs sits on one of the most extensive and sophisticated irrigation systems the world has seen. Now, I'm not talking about the present system, which is water robbing, takes the water out and never returns it to the river. I'm talking about a system that was built up 1,000 years ago by the Hoboken people, two centuries before the slave trader Columbus got lost in the Bahamas. Hoboken's irritation system was major engineering feat. The ancient canal system dates from the fifth and sixth centuries, and the building continued for hundreds of years. Thousands of miles of waterways were constructed watering tens of thousands of acres of crops, and water was returned to the rivers by the project, and it was sustainable for generations. The people had learned from their surroundings and built a viable technology that arose out of and respected nature, but they continued building and building and building to the point that they began to work against that river. And by the 12th century of the common era, they had built an urban community that had become unsustainable. The Hoboken civilization collapsed when it lost touch with its relationship to that river, to that environment, when it became arrogant in its accomplishments and began to ignore its own indigenous wisdom. And those people no longer exist as a culture. There, if you go to Arizona, there are many indigenous communities that trace their history to that community, but they, as a culture, no longer exist. They've gone the way of other cultures and people all over our planet that did not, with imposed by the desert, or by the prairies. They forgot the practice that had given their culture life in the first place. For most of the time, Most of the time human beings have lived on this planet, people have paid attention to the Earth. They lived in a place and provided for their needs by knowledge of that particular environment. They learned by experience how to create sustainable economies. And by living in harmony with Mother Earth and revealing her, that she revealed her secrets to them in that place, in that time, to that people. To put it in words that could be published in a book, let me repeat other ways. Indigenous wisdom is particular to a location. It's the wisdom of a people who have learned by experience, by practice, to create a sustainable way of life, and the knowledge comes from practice over time. In the ancient medical understanding of my ancestors, the Cherokee people was based on observing observing, and practicing. the herb. This herb does provides relief for poison ivy, and that one doesn't. You don't chew it, you don't drink it as a tea, you make a bomb out of it and rub it on the rash. Medicine women kept the knowledge and trained their daughters, and that body of knowledge grew over time, over time, over time. And most pharmacology today owes its formulas and potents to the ancient herbalists of China and India and Americas and Europe and Africa. These treatments were often as effective as the treatments we know today. And we're coming to understand that the health of peoples before the powerful sweep of invasions of the 500 years ago was pretty good. They did not suffer from diabetes and cancer and heart attacks. Their diets were mostly vegetables, beans, greens, squashes, whole grains. They got plenty of exercise without going to the gym and they lived long lives. And they didn't eat just one food. They had dozens of varieties of corn and other grains, dozens of varieties of legumes and fruits and greens. And today our, today our commercial agriculture has greatly reduced our choices. So unless you adventure into a farmer's market or a Whole Foods and pay a premium, the food you will eat is quite circumscribed. The variety is, can le- be very limited. And sometimes the food we eat doesn't supply our nutritional needs. American agriculture products are full of toxins. Our meats are full of antibiotics and growth hormones. And it isn't just about us. It's not just about what we're doing to our health. The way our food is grown and brought to us is destroying our earth, destroying soil and water reserves. Human beings not so long ago lived in communities whose relationship to the earth Was sustainable. But today the world is being drawn into a global economy and media civilization that depends on our being ignorant of generations and generations and generations of wisdom. We're being asked to trust the most recent science. And we're not learning that sometimes that science is science in the service of corporations, science that's bought and paid for, where the research is bought and paid for and other research is repressed. Most Unitarian Universalists agree, agree, and have heard that we have a whole group of crises. We're being taught these crises are destructive. We have to do something about it. But they're crises that are outside of us the crisis of the atmosphere, the crisis of the water table. But I'm inviting you to consider that the crisis is us. That our human relationship to our life, sustaining environment in which we live and move and have our being has become profoundly alien. Alien to who we are, who we were evolved to be, deeply unnatural, and therefore inherently inhuman. We've been taught to call all of these crises by various names: global warming, climate change, water resource depletion, species extinction, expansion of the deserts, acidic buildup of our oceans, ozone layer depletion, acid. Did I get acid rain before? Well. Uh, deforestation, soil erosion, water and atmospheric pollution, and I probably didn't name all the crises that will be brought up later. And we have a crisis of world hunger, diet and health. We the people of the United States have the highest medical costs in the world. Highest medical costs in the world. And after spending all of that money we still have what could only be called epidemics of civilization, diabetes, cancer, heart attacks, immune system breakdown, diseases that were (laughs) uncommon in the villages of our ancestors, sometimes 10, 20 generations ago. Our media and our politicians treat these critical problems as isolated problems. They have a study on each critical problem. In isolation, and we're taught all these d- discrete problems are in fact discrete. Discrete. You take a pill for this heart for your heart, and spends a lot of money on technology to solve the climate problem, and maybe we can forget the problem is about the lack of water because we'll we'll desalinate the oceans, and then the, the places where the drought has taken hold and the deserts expanding they're all going to have a study done. We're never really facing up to the question that the problem is with us, with our lifestyle, the way we relate to each other, the way we relate to our Earth. So if the crisis that we're talking about are all a problem that we could call a spiritual malaise, a profound spiritual malaise. And we're not dealing with a series of isolated problems, but rather with a homo sapiens that's become divorced from its ancestry. The crisis arises out of profound brokenness, the profound alienation of who we were evolved to be. And who we therefore must be as human beings. And to sum it up in one phrase, to me, we've forgotten we belong to the earth. We've forgotten we belong to the earth. And we read the responsive reading in, from Noah Seath, and I'm sure you've read that before, but it's not simply something for Native American Heritage Month. Oh, let's read that Chief Seattle thing, Noah's Seat. Because we don't live by those words. We live, we don't live as if we belong to the earth. We, we, we require a profound reorientation of our lives to do that. Our economy, our social practices, our politics are all premised on the opposite idea that the Earth is a thing. Not only is it a thing, it's our thing to manipulate and violate at will. And if we believe the Earth is a thing and it belongs to us, we might even believe that the problem of our ecology is a technological one. Right? If we're breaking our relationship to the Earth, we could fix it by some new Technology, let's get more engineers on this Earth crisis thing. We could solve the problem with techniques, with hybrid cars, with windmills, with fluorescent light bulbs. I think you've all tried those. All good things. They're all good things. Can't wait to get my my, uh, fluorescent light bulb. But it doesn't address the problem. It's a step, but it's not addressing the problem. If we deeply understand and understand in our bones that the earth does not belong to us, that we are creatures of the earth, finite animals that live in relationship to our ecology and to each other and to all the creatures of the earth, then we'll come to understand that what we're talking about is a crisis in relationship, a crisis... In relationship that pervades our whole dominant culture and its worldview, a worldview we have been taught since childhood. We'll come to understand that this worldview informs that the dominant worldview that we're living by informs our economy, our very lives, is based on our, it, 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 we may, we'll feel guilty if we don't produce more, we'll feel driven, if we don't get more done, if we don't fix things. It's all based on the deep, deep understanding that's so different than our ancestors, a belief that we can dominate the planet. And that worldview of domination has led to a spiritual impoverishment, social alienation, and violence. If things don't act just like we want them to act, if people don't act just like we want them to act, we'll shoot up the clinic. Social alienation and violence, runaway environmental destruction, and the destruction of our children's future. We need to understand we belong to the earth and come to understand that not just in our heads, but in our hearts, and if we come to live by this simple but profound reorientation, we can reclaim our human relationship to the earth. I'm inviting you to reclaim your indigenous selves. Everyone here, not so very long ago, had great -great great, 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 great grandmothers who lived by the seasons grew by the seasons, knew the wisdom of a village. The descendants of people who live close to the earth in relationship to a place, a relationship that was profoundly informative. We can all live in relationship again, live in awareness that we belong to the earth, live in relationship to what has been and what has become in every moment of our now and healing that relationship will heal our humanity and that our earth will heal our humanity and our we will heal our earth.